0: Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Hello, how are you doing? I am so excited to be doing episode 2. I've gotten some feedback about episode 1, some things I did well, some things I could do better, and I'm going to try to do all of those things. I will plug these at the end of the episode, but I do have a Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram page that if you want to follow for updates, you definitely can. I also have a Podbean website, and that is where I link out the show notes. So if you want to pull that up before the episode, or if you want to pull it up after to see where I got my sources, or if you want to just follow along because you like following along while listening, you definitely can. If you're wanting to go to that website first, the address is scandal101podcast.podbean.com. One scandal I've been following recently in the news is from the University of Michigan, where a formal football coach team doctor, I said that so spaced out because it took me, no joke, eight times to record those four words, a formal football team doctor Doctor was accused and has been accused of having inappropriate um, sexual misconduct with patients on countless occasions. And anytime there's a scandal, it's important to look into it, but especially in cases of sexual misconduct. So I hope that you know it. This can get solved, and an investigation can come out of this. And I don't really know. You know, you can't erase trauma from your past, but I just hope that proper action is taken so that this does not happen again. That was kind of the main scandal I was looking at this past week, and I am so excited to dive into this week's case. And before I dive in, I do want to let you know that this is going to be a two-part podcast. This is going to be part one, and I'm not going to make you wait a week for part two, Today is Friday when I'm going to be releasing the part one episode, and I'm going to be releasing part two on Monday, so you don't have to wait a full week for that. And then next Friday I will be releasing a new episode with a new topic, but part one will come out Friday for this topic, and then part two Monday, and then Friday of next week there will be a brand new episode with a new topic. But without further ado, I would like to introduce the Iowa lottery scandal where one man brought his chances from 1 in 5 million down to 1 in 200 of winning the lottery. Now this is not only the Iowa lottery scam, but it is also the largest lottery scam in the history of the United States. To understand how this started, it's just important to have a brief background on what the lottery in the United States looked like before this happened. So the first modern lottery was Uh, taking place in New Hampshire, and it started in 1964. It was originally known as the New Hampshire Sweepstakes, but it is now known as the New Hampshire Lottery. In 1975, New Jersey introduced the first computerized number game in the United States, and you're probably asking yourself, who cares when that was first introduced? But it does become an important part later in the story. And lastly, at the time of this recording, mid-2021, there are four states without a lottery. Alaska, Hawaii, Nevada, and Utah. Now, when you think of the lottery, I think of the lottery as something that's supposed to be fair, but it's something that you're not likely to win. Even though you go in knowing that you're probably not gonna win, in the back of your mind, there's always that, like, what if factor, or what if I get the right numbers, and what if I win this 20, 30 million dollar prize and I get to do whatever I want. Like, that is in the back of your mind and it's supposed to be fair, right? Even though there is always that little chance, one man figured out how to get around this system and one man figured out how to make his odds 1 in 200 of winning the lottery versus a 1 in 5 million chance for everybody else. That man is named Eddie Tipton, otherwise known as the man with the voice, and ultimately it was his voice that would bring him down. Eddie Tipton grew up in Flatonia, Texas, and he showed an interest and a skill for computers early on in his life. He was always inside messing around with computers at his home when he was growing up, and he eventually went to school for information technology at the University of Houston. Unfortunately, it didn't seem like computers were taking up enough of Eddie's time because in 1982 he pled guilty to taking part in a warehouse burglary when he was 19 years old. He could have received up to 20 years in prison for a felony conviction for this, but instead, he was given two years of probation and he had to pay $1,719 in restitution. Now, I've never been faced with a felony conviction charge, but getting probation instead of 20 years in prison seems like a pretty good deal to me. After this, he apparently was convicted of stealing computer software from a Sears, but Eddie later goes on to explain that From his perspective, it was more of an argument with the Sears employee, and it wasn't what he would call a theft. I've worked in the service industry for about seven years, and I wish that some of the people that have chosen to pick arguments with me would have faced felony convictions because maybe they would have not gone on to harass other uh, service employees, and if you've worked in the service industry, you know the exact customers that I'm talking about. Setting aside Eddie's run-ins with the law, in 2005 he had an interview with the Multi-State Lottery Association and was apparently upfront and honest about those convictions, which is always good in a job interview. Never lie about something in a job interview because it will backfire on you. Um, And he was surprised to receive a callback after being honest about these convictions. His background was ran and it was cleared by the Iowa Gaming Commission. Now, Iowa state law does not allow for convicted felons to work for the Iowa Lottery. However, this law does not apply to the Multi-State Lottery Association, which from here on out I'm going to be calling Muscle because that is their abbreviation and it will save a little bit of time. CNBC did a podcast covering this case called Just a Dollar and a Scheme, and according to that, from all accounts, Eddie was, quote, Never a glamorous person. He had a truck with 300,000 miles on it. Eddie always wanted a family. He built a whole home, a massive house for a family, end quote. He was described by his brother as, quote, a very large, kind of lonesome man, end quote. Eddie ended up getting the job with Muscle, and Muscle is a group that supervises lottery functions in three dozen states, one of those being Iowa. Eddie, for his job, was a computer expert and he was to help with security and to make sure that things were working well and were secure with the lottery games that Muscle was overseeing. Now, Eddie was making pretty good money with his job as information security director. He was making a six-figure salary. He said, though, that he felt unappreciated and overworked with his job despite the salary. He said he was working 50 to 60 hours per week and doing many duties that were outside of his job description. And some of this information comes from a really good Des Moines Register article that did an investigative piece into this. And I looked at a couple of those articles, which you can find all in the show notes. He also said that he didn't feel like anyone besides him actually cared about the security of the systems that he was overseeing. And it was because of that lack of oversight that he was able to do what he did to rig the lottery in his favor. He apparently brought up security concerns to his supervisors, but that they weren't addressed because, quote, they didn't want to hear it or they didn't want it written down anywhere. And thus, Eddie Tipton was allowed to slip in code into the computer system that allowed him to predict lottery numbers going forward, and I'm going to dive into the specifics later on in this episode and then as well as part two. Apparently no one at Eddie's job beside him cared about the security, he was allowed to slip in the code that allowed him to predict numbers, so how did he get caught? We go to December 29th, 2010, looking at the hot lotto jackpot in the state of Iowa. The jackpot at that time was $16.5 million, a life-changing amount of money. And the winning ticket was bought at a quick trip off of I-80 in Des Moines. The ticket had been bought, like I said, on December 29th, and no one had come to claim this ticket. And in the state of Iowa, you have up to one year to collect the prize before your ticket expires and it is no longer valid. Iowa's lottery CEO, Terry Rich, He said that most people wait a little bit to talk to a financial advisor and talk to a lawyer to figure out the best way to move forward. But it had been six months and no one had showed up and it was getting close to that year deadline and there was a lot of publicity surrounding this ticket because $16.5 million is a lot of money. Suddenly, with under two hours left before the ticket expired, lawyers walked in with the winning ticket wanting to claim the prize money. Now in the state of Iowa, you have to be publicly identified as the ticket winner to collect your prize, and the lawyers would not reveal who their client was. And because Iowa law states that the person who buys the ticket has to be identified, the prize ended up being unclaimed and was never collected. $16.5 million, like I said, is a life-changing amount of money. If, if someone gave me $1 million, I would not know how to act. Like, I would not know what to do, let alone if I had won $16.5 million And because someone doesn't want to be publicly identified, they're just not going to come and get get the money like that is suspicious. And also because two lawyers would not reveal who their client was, despite it being law in Iowa, it gained the attention of authorities because it was just there was just a little too much going on there for it to be like, oh, yeah, the person just doesn't want to be identified, whatever, like, no, no. They didn't want to be identified, the prize was ridiculously high, and two mysterious lawyers representing a trust came in and would not identify who their client was, despite it being state law. And even if you wanted to have lawyers go with you to claim the prize money, like, that's totally fine, but the prize winner has to be there. You can't just send someone else to get your prize, like, that's not how it works. Like I said, this case was just too suspicious, there were too many weird things going on, so the case and the investigation got sent to Prosecutor Rob Sand. He specialized in financial crimes at the time, and this case had a lot of suspicion, but not really a lot of evidence going for it, so he started to really look at the surveillance video from the quick trip the day that the ticket was bought. Because there wasn't a lot of evidence going besides that surveillance video, there was a difficult decision to make of should we release this to the public? You know, the quality of the video is not that good. Is anyone really going to be able to identify anything? But they ultimately made the decision to release it and with the hopes that maybe someone can recognize the voice with this video because, unlike most quick trips in the area, this quick trip happened to record both audio and video with their surveillance cameras. So, the video was released out to the public, there were asks for, you know, if you recognize this man in the video, if you recognize the voice, please call in. There weren't a lot of hopes, like I said, because the video was not that clear, but they got a lot of calls saying, I know that voice, that voice is so familiar, that's the voice of Eddie Tipton, a.k.a. the man with the voice. When they start honing in on Tipton, there's a lot of concern because he works for Muscle, the very organization that is responsible for overseeing the lottery games, and Rob Sand realizes that if this is taken to court, he is going to have to convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that the man on the surveillance video is Eddie Tipton, the very man who is employed to protect the lottery. Another thing that Rob Sand realizes is they need to figure out how Eddie actually went about and did this, because Eddie Tipton at this point was a man who worked at Muscle who bought the winning lottery ticket but ended up not claiming it. And there were a lot of suspicious ways about not claiming it, like I said with the mysterious lawyers, but they didn't understand how Eddie actually won the lottery. Because they figured statistically it doesn't make sense that he would have the winning numbers by chance. And then if he really did, why did he not claim this ticket? And also I was pretty sure... um, I'd have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure that Muscle employees were not allowed to actually play the lottery, so that was that was a no-go as well. They were wondering if Eddie tampered with the equipment to rig the game. Um, machines are sealed and operated at Muscle, so I guess it, they were thinking it was a possibility, but they weren't really sure how he actually did this. So they decided to look at the place that made the most sense, the computer that had actually drawn the winning numbers. Well, they go to that computer, and all of the data was wiped. So, they were building their case on essentially what was a lot of circumstantial evidence, which makes your case not as strong, and it makes it harder to convict and convince a jury. Furthermore, Tipton's defense attorney, Eddie Tipton's defense attorney, Dean Stowers, argued that it couldn't be his client, Eddie, because at the time, Eddie Tipton did not have a beard, and the man in the video had a full, bushy beard and Tipton's defense team had brought forward photos taken at the time and Eddie did not have a beard. So that was just something else that uh, Rob Sand was going to have to try and combat against. Even though the computer that drew the winning numbers was wiped, they were able to find a different computer and looked at the code and realized that Eddie, the one who had written the code, had slipped in code that allowed him to predict winning numbers. And like I said, I'm going to dive into the specifics of that later on but they realize this and there was their evidence that was the smoking gun. So with this smoking gun they take it back to trial and after a jury finds Eddie guilty the judge sentences him to 10 years and that's from a CNBC article from 2019. After the sentencing they're feeling pretty good they are like great we got Eddie but in the back of his mind Rob Sand thinks there's no way that this guy tried this just one time because if you had written code to rig the lottery in your favor are you really gonna do that just one time? Now before I say what I'm gonna say I'm just going to say that I have never and will never try to rig a lottery or try to do anything criminal with the lottery but if I had written computer code and if I were able to rig the lottery in my favor Why would you try to do it more than once? Because in my mind, if you do it once and you do it successfully, be done. You have a decent amount of money, you could probably retire and do whatever you want and be fine the rest of your life. I guess, I mean, greed is a very real thing and I'm sure that you do it once and you're like, oh, I could do it again and get more money, but if you're risking criminal behavior, I just, in my mind, I can't understand why you would try to do it more than once. And I think that's what Rob Sand is thinking is that there's no way with this natural instinct toward greed that this guy only did it once. After Eddie's sentencing, Rob Sand gets a call. It's from someone in Texas, which is, again, where Eddie is from. And the person on the phone who is anonymous says, Hey, did you know that Eddie Tipton's brother won the lottery out west somewhere about 10 years ago? He, who is Tommy Tipton, Eddie's brother won the lottery in Colorado in 2005, but he claimed the money through an acquaintance. Now why, if you won the lottery honestly, would you want to go claim the money through an acquaintance unless you didn't win it honestly? You've been introduced to Eddie Tipton, now you need to be introduced to Tommy Tipton, who is a second main character in this crazy, crazy story. Tommy Tipton is Eddie's little brother, and in 2005 Tommy was in Colorado because he was hunting for none other than Bigfoot. Now if you want to go hunt for Bigfoot, by all means go ahead and do that. I personally am not one to go hunting for Bigfoot, I love the outdoors, I love you know hiking around and doing things outside, but hunting for creatures that could potentially end me is not something I consider a fun activity in my free time. Putting that aside, he was in Colorado and he won the jackpot, but he had to split it between three people. It was later determined that one of those people had legitimately won, a lawyer who was the second person had won, and then it was Tommy. This lawyer comes into question along with Tommy because Tommy had actually gone to a lawyer about advice about winning this jackpot, even though his brother worked for Muscle, and the lawyer who Tommy talked to was like, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. But then another lawyer who knew that first lawyer ended up winning the jackpot in Colorado. So Tommy later on thinks that the lawyer he met with had also given the winning numbers to that lawyer in Colorado. And so Tommy had a lesser payout and Tommy was pretty mad over this, but there was really no definite way to prove it and no charges were brought up on that lawyer, either of the lawyers, the one Tommy met with or the one that uh, had won that jackpot in Colorado. While Tommy was in Colorado, like I said, he was hunting for Bigfoot and he apparently fell out of a tree and quote, almost died, end quote. So he was pretty badly injured and he went, had to go to the hospital because of this. The FBI was brought in for questioning because he tried to pay for his hospital bills with consecutively numbered bills. which is always suspicious and if you are ever wanting to pay a large amount of money be ready to have an explanation as to why your bills are consecutively numbered when tommy was questioned about this he was actually upfront and honest which i mean i guess seems to be a pattern with the tipton brothers at one point so i guess that's good but he said that he had the bills because he had won the colorado lottery and he was paying in cash because quote he couldn't tell his wife of the win since gambling was contrary to her Christian faith, end quote. And that is from another one of those Des Moines Register articles investigative pieces. Now, I don't know if it being against her Christian faith was the truth, but he did tell the truth about that he had won that from the Colorado lottery. After about an hour of questioning both Tommy and his attorneys, the FBI felt satisfied with what they had heard and dropped the inquiry. And that was that. I don't really understand how federal investigations work. I don't really understand what boxes they have to check to feel confident in someone that they're talking to. I don't, you know, I don't know if they ran a background on Tommy. I would assume not because they probably maybe would have found that his brother was working for the Iowa Lottery or I guess Muscle, but I don't know. I don't really know all the eyes that you have to dot and the T's you have to cross to cross a suspect off, but. Maybe his upfront honesty about winning the Colorado lottery, like that's pretty easy to check. So maybe that made them feel satisfied with the interview. I don't know. I, whenever I hear cases like this, I always think that if you had looked a little further, you probably would have discovered something else. And that's how I always feel when I listen to true crime podcasts or just investigative podcasts. I always feel like, you know, the investigators didn't go far enough but at the same time, if they spend all this time on one person and it turns out to be a false lead or they don't have enough information, then it was just a major waste of time. So I can see both sides of the coin on that. I don't know. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and it can be frustrating to look back at a case and realize if you just pushed a little further, you could have gotten this solved or you could have prevented this from happening or something along those lines. But I don't know. Just, just interesting to think about. Now, after... He was done being questioned by the FBI. He satisfied all their requirements, whatever those are. That was pretty much it with his interaction in Colorado, as far as I could tell. I'm assuming he didn't find Bigfoot because I think people are still hunting for Bigfoot today. So I would assume that his trip was unsuccessful. And he also fell and hurt himself and, quote, almost died, end quote. So probably was a bummer of a trip. But (laughs) anyway, after that, He also had won the lottery in Oklahoma in 2011. And as a reminder, Eddie Tipton had purchased the winning numbers in Iowa in late 2010. And even though you're hearing all of this about Tommy Tipton winning the lottery in 2005, winning it in 2011, Rob Sand and the investigators didn't know any of this at the time. This is all background information that you need to understand before the second part so that way you can understand the full scope of what Eddie Tipton had actually masterminded. And it also helped that Tommy Tipton, Eddie's brother, had one in Colorado and Oklahoma because with it being two different states, that didn't draw as much scrutiny because there was while there was probably attention in both states on Tommy, not the same state, not the same people, so it's not going to be connected very easily. And also it was six years apart, which obviously winning the lottery once in your life is awesome. Winning it twice is unheard of, but winning it six years apart in two different states isn't probably going to catch the attention of just the common person unless there is a watchful eye looking upon that person. A lack of a watchful eye over Eddie at his job allowed him to insert the code a lack of a watchful eye over Tommy allowed him to win the lottery twice in two different states, and a lack of a watchful eye over anyone can lead to trouble. And that is where we are going to leave part one, and like I said, part two is going to be posted on Monday. Thank you so much for tuning in to part one of the Iowa Lottery Scandal. If you would like to keep up to date with the latest, stay in touch on social media. I'm going to post pictures for part one and part two about this case. Um, If you want to follow on Instagram, it is at Scandal101Podcast. If you want to follow on Twitter, it is at Scandal101Pod. We have a Facebook page if you search Scandal101Podcast. And like I said at the beginning, the website where you can find the show notes and the episode is scandal101podcast.podbean.com If you go to any of those sources that I just said, You will find a Linktree link, which has all of the links to the social media and the places where you can listen to the podcast. I am constantly updating it as I get the podcast posted in more places. I've submitted the podcast to Amazon Music slash Audible, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts as well, so hopefully it'll be up there soon. Again, thank you so much for listening. This has been episode two of Scandal 101.